Amen. You can have a seat. Thanks for being here today. Grab your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Thanks for being here on this holiday Sunday. Thank you for choosing church over going to visit your family. I appreciate that so much. You tell your mom that your pastor said you can be in her house tomorrow, but you got to be at God's house today. Man, thank you. I'm just kidding. We're going to visit my folks this week. So honored you're here. Luke chapter 2. What makes Christmas so special is all of our Christmas traditions. They don't even have to be written down in stone, just the things that you do every single year. You know, I think even if you asked our family, what what are your Christmas traditions? They're not big monumental things. They're not even that sweet of things. They're just the things that we do every single year. One of the traditions at my house growing up in Missouri was the the setting up of the Christmas tree. And that's kind of everybody's Christmas tradition. We had this old school Christmas tree that was just like a pole that had some holes in it. And then you shoved the branches right into the pole. I don't know if any of you remember these. So the tree was not very big. And and, and so I love that tree. It was not fancy. It was not classy in any way, but I love that tree. We had it my whole life growing up. I moved down here to Texas to finish college after Amanda and I got engaged and uh, went home for Christmas one year to my parents' house. And uh, our tree's not up. And I was kind of disappointed, but uh, I was trying to be a happy camper there in my mama's house. And, and I said, hey, mom, uh, do you mind if you're not going to use the tree anymore? She had bought not one of those nice, you know, pre-lit things. And if you're not going to use the old tree, can I, can I take it back to Texas with me? Because it was kind of small. It would definitely fit in the car. And, and so uh, she's, uh, you know, because I'm thinking some, it's got to be used. You know, we'll put it in the bedroom. And we think we had a one-bedroom apartment at that time. A Christmas tree in the tiny living room. Christmas tree in the tiny bath, bath uh, you know, bedroom. That makes total sense. And, and uh and so she goes, uh, I threw it away. I'm like, uh, do you hate Christmas? <laughs> do you hate me? That's, that's like our tree. That's our, that's our tree. You can't go to Sears and get a new memory. You can't go to Sears and get a new tradition. You can go and get pieces of plastic and wire and electricity, but you can't go and get a, a new tree. What are you, what are you doing? You mean, you mean you threw it away? Yeah, I threw it away. And, and, and that, was, that was it. And, and, you know, we love our traditions, but we hate new traditions. You ever notice that? We, hate, we love making room for the old at Christmas time, but it's hard to make room for the new, you know. You ever get somebody new in the family? You remember that? You know, like you're married into the family, and you can kind of tell, like, they're mad that you are there, but, like, you're there, you know. And if you, you're an in-law, you, you get it. You get it. You understand. It's a rite of passage. I'll be able to do it to my children one day. It'll be fantastic, you know. But we like the old traditions. We don't like making room for the new traditions. And what we're going to see in the scripture today is that the Christmas story is all about making room for something new. And Luke, the, the Gospel of Luke, he's going to introduce us to two groups of people. One is going to make room for a Savior to be born, and one is not going to make room. And we have to decide which we are going to be. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. For this was the first registration 
when uh, Quirinius was governing of uh, Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, uh, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. So right away, Luke is introducing us to Caesar. Now, it, it seems random for uh, the writer to introduce us to Caesar, but Caesar Augustus was a Caesar at time. Augustus was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. That may be a name you can kind of come around. That may be more familiar with you. So uh, Caesar Augustus was really the Caesar, the first Caesar to turn the Roman Empire into what we uh, think of as the Roman Empire. Before this point, it was more of a Roman Republic, but Augustus took it to a whole new level. And as he did, he began to encourage the people of Rome and of the Roman Empire to look to his adopted father, Julius Caesar, as a god. And he encouraged them to worship the Caesar as a god. And he really made himself out to be the son of God. So what Luke is doing is he's taking something that everyone knew that was happening there in the Roman Empire, and he's placing the fictional son of God, Augustus, next to the real son of God, Jesus. And so the Caesar, Augustus, he wants to take a census. Now there's, there's only one reason to take a census, that's for tax purposes. And Augustus wants to make sure that he is getting every dollar that he possibly can from the people of Israel. So he wants all the people to be counted. He doesn't want to leave any of that money on the table. And it mentions Quirinius here. He was a governor in Syria. He was probably the one who was in charge of enacting the census in that part of the Roman Empire. And that's why he's mentioned here. So Luke is intentionally bringing Jesus and Caesar into the same story so that we can see them side by side. So Caesar, he wants to tax But God is going to give a gift. But that's not how most of us think of God. Most of us think of God. In fact, most of the people in our culture think of God as God is the one who takes the taxes. That's why most people show up to church. Why? Because God is taking a tax on your time. All the time is yours, and this is God's tax. God wants to tax your happiness, so he's not going to let everything go perfectly. God wants to tax your freedom. You can do a lot of things that you want, but you can't do everything that you want. And most people have this lens where we view God more like Caesar than we do the way that he's revealed in the scripture. But in this story, Caesar is the one taking the tax. Caesar is the one taking something. God is the one who is offering something, and he's offering something very valuable. He's offering his own son. And listen, if you're going to celebrate Christmas... In anybody's house, you want to celebrate in the house of this father. Because this father is generous like no other. This father knows how to give presents. And look what it says next. Verse 4. And Joseph, who also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. 
Verse five, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So because of the census, Joseph has to take Mary down to Bethlehem from Nazareth. That was about a 90 minute, uh, 90 minute, 90 mile uh, journey. So you can imagine Mary fully pregnant, full term pregnancy, making that journey either on, uh, you know, riding some kind of horse or something or just walking. And so she's making, they're making the long journey. Joseph has to go to Bethlehem because that's where his ancestors were from. Uh, that was not a Roman custom. Rome didn't really, uh, they, they didn't do their censuses like this, but many historians believe uh, that the Caesar did it this way uh, because the people knew that they were being counted for tax purposes and there, were, there was a lot of tension there. Uh, so they said, well, we're going to take a census, but we're going to do it the Jewish way. And the Jewish way was for you to go and be counted in the, the city or the town of your father. So they make their way to Bethlehem. It says that they're betrothed. Uh, this is more than an engagement. In fact, they were probably married already. It would have been unusual for a young woman like Mary to journey that far um, over a long time with just somebody she was betrothed to. So some Bible scholars believe that they were already married, uh, but they had just not consummated the marriage yet because of the holiness uh, that she was carrying inside of her. And it says uh, that Jesus was born. Luke doesn't make a big deal about it. He just says it very matter of fact, doesn't he? Just lays it out. And the time came and Jesus was born and, and, and they wrapped him in swaddling cloths, which would have been strips of linen. They would have wrapped him um, around real, real tight. This would be familiar to anybody who's had a baby recently because swaddling is very important. Swaddling is great. I did it with my kids because here's what I learned about my kids. When you swaddle them really, really tightly, they're really quiet. And then they go to sleep. And so I would wrap those guys so tight and man to be like, chill out, chill out, chill out. I'm like, this is how we sleep. This is how we sleep. Swaddle them up. This is how we get rest. And so Mary swaddles Jesus and you can imagine him bundled really, really tightly with those strips of linen and and they lay him in a manger, which was a feeding, a feeding trough. And look at this little fragment at the end. This little fragment of a sentence. She places them in a manger. Why? Because there was no place for them in the inn. So there's a whole scene that Luke is just summarizing with this one sentence. Mary and Joseph being turned away somehow because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, I don't know what you're picturing as an inn. Maybe, maybe you're thinking of a hotel. Maybe you uh, grew up kind of like I grew up and you're thinking of a motel uh, because motels, that M and H, they just make all the difference in price, don't they? Motel, hotel. Uh, when I think of a, a hotel or a motel, I think of these two experiences I had in the same week. I was traveling with a friend. We were kind of preaching around and and uh, uh, we stayed in this hotel that somebody else had booked for us. And, and uh, we walk in. Uh, it looks nice kind of on the inside there. But then you walk into your room. You ever had this experience where, like, it looks like, oh, yeah, 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 it's a good one. I'm glad that I did the online thing and, and I, I didn't know what I was getting. But then you walk into your room and it's just a disaster. We walked into the room just to describe what kind of word it is. Uh, room it was, uh, the, the carpet was, like, moist. You know what I mean? And, and I hate the word moist, but I want to I use it to describe the nastiness of this room. I mean, everybody with me? on how this room is and and so the carpet is dingy and kind of gross and and the sheets I think were put on the bed when Jesus was born in Bethlehem and had not been changed since uh nasty the the bathroom uh, had a shower in it you know a stand-up shower but it turned into a bathtub because the water didn't drain and so we were there for a few days and it's like stepping into your own I mean just grow I mean you, you're with me on this disgusting I was there with another friend we were in our early 20s and, and uh just to show you how just nasty this 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 room was uh we didn't sleep 
in the bed. We slept on top of the bed in our coats because it was winter and it was cold, like kind of huddled up together. I won't use the word snuggle because we're manly men, but like, you know, and, and so you can imagine how gross this room was if two young 27 men were willing to kind of lay next to each other, uh, bundled up in our coats. It was, it was gross. And in the same week, though, later on in the week, we stayed at this place called the Imperial Palace. And they called it the Imperial Palace because it, in fact, used to be a palace. We were not in the United States. And as we pull up on the street, you, you walked up to the hotel and the stairs on the outside of the hotel were made of marble. And then there's this long, majestic hallway, big pillars, columns. The room was amazing. Uh, they, had, they even had, this was a classy place. They had, you could get a haircut and a shave inside with one of those old school razors, you know, where they're afraid they're like going to cut you and then it's all over right there. But so fancy. Man, I just love it. And so maybe you're picturing something on the one end or the other end that Jesus is, is staying in or maybe somewhere in between. But really, you got to put all of what we know as a, a motel or a hotel, you got to put that out of your mind. There's kind of three primary ideas that historians have of what kind of inn that Mary and Joseph were turned away from. You know, some believe it was a, a two-story house, and this house was just kind of designated. If you were a traveler and you came to Bethlehem, this was the first place that you went. And it was a two-story house. Everyone stayed on the second story, and then they kept the animals on the first story. Some historians think that that's what Mary and Joseph were turned away from. Some think it was more of a traditional inn that you would pay and you would get your own room. Kind of a third theory is that it was just a public uh, shelter. And if you were just going to be in Bethlehem for one night, there was just kind of an open room and a lot of people would stay in that room to kind of get out of the elements. And it says that Mary placed Jesus in a manger. And so we know that they were somewhere where animals were kept and whether it was on the first floor or some other building, and then some people believe that it was a cave uh, because they commonly kept their animals in caves near and around that area. In fact, within the uh, 150 years after Jesus was born, uh, there was a cave that was identified in Bethlehem as the cave that Jesus was born into, and they built a church on top of it. You can actually go and visit that church today and see that cave. And no one knows for sure, but we know that they were turned away from the inn. And Luke wants us to know that. Luke wants us to know that they tried to stay someplace, but they couldn't because there were too many people. Then look what happens in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled, uh, filled with great fear. So you have these shepherds there outside of Bethlehem somewhere. There's a place called the Shepherd's Field that they think maybe was where these shepherds were. It's about two miles outside of Bethlehem. And it says they're keeping watch. They're keeping watch over their flock from wild animals, from robbers. And it's at night. So these people, these guys, they essentially live outdoors. These are like real outdoorsmen, not people who just want to go and hunt a few times a year and then come back to their home. These guys actually lived outdoors, outdoors at night, outdoors during the day. And then look what happens. The angel appears, verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. 
And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen as it had been told to them. So Luke, he gives us these two people. We have the people at the inn who are not really in the story, just summarized in this tiny fragment of a sentence. And we have the shepherds. The shepherds made room in their night for a Savior to be born. The people at the inn didn't. I mean... We have to use our imaginations here, and I think that's okay. I mean, why would these people, whether it was one person or a group of people, why would they turn Mary and Joseph away? I mean, the woman is nine months pregnant. Can you imagine that? Like, how heartless do you have to be to turn away Mary and Joseph? Maybe you want to turn away Joseph because he just looks like, you know, a normal dude. But how are you going to turn people away? So I started thinking about it. Why would I, if I had been in Bethlehem, around that inn. Why might I have turned Mary and Joseph away? Why would I not have been willing to give up my spot for them? You know, I think one, one potential answer is because only one family was getting comfort that night. The family or the families that were in the inn already or Mary and Joseph. The place was full. So to give up space for Mary and Joseph meant that you or I would have to sacrifice our comfort for them to be comforted. And listen, there's no condemnation in that because there have been plenty of times which I have chosen my own comfort over what is best for Jesus and his kingdom. You know, about a month and a half ago, I was was walking and and when I walk, that's when I like to pray. I, if I just try to stay in one place, I can't do it. And, and so I got my headphones in my ear. I'm listening to some of the songs that we sing on Sunday morning. And I'm, and I'm praying. And I like to pray out loud. And so I'm trying to always kind of scan the periphery to make sure nobody is around so they can't hear me because I'm not weird. And, and, um, and so, so I'm praying. And, and on that particular day, I was, I was praying for uh, what the Scripture describes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, because it talks about spiritual gifts, and God uh, gives us spiritual gifts when we believe in Jesus. The Spirit of God implants in you uh, a talent and ability, and then empowers that spiritual gift to not only be a blessing for you, but to bless the body of Christ, to build the church. And, and so I've, I've read that recently, and I'm praying for those spiritual gifts to be activated in me, because the Scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, that we should eagerly desire those gifts, and I'm kind of a simple guy, and so if the Bible tells me that I should desire these gifts and I'm going to try to desire them. And so I'm praying, I'm praying, you know, uh, like gifts like um, exhortation, uh, teaching, um, you know, wisdom, speaking in tongues, uh, discerning spirits, a gift of uh, uh, helping people, serving people, leadership. All these gifts are listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13 and 14. So I'm praying for all these gifts and especially I'm praying for the gift of prophecy because that's what the scripture says uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1 and 2. Uh, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Again, I'm kind of a simple guy, so I'm 
I'm like, well, I guess I especially pray for this gift. And the prophecy is not maybe how we would think of it, like I'm predicting the future. It is uh, God speaks a very specific word to you to give to someone else. And that gift is very helpful as a pastor because sometimes people will come and want to tell their stories to get guidance or wisdom or whatever. But you know how when you got stuff in your story that you're not super proud of, uh, you don't want to like say it out loud. So you just kind of dance around the thing. And so sometimes it's helpful for God to just say to me, this is exactly what is going on and this is how you need to pray and this is what you need to say. It's very helpful as a pastor and it's very encouraging when you receive that word of encouragement that you know that God has been listening to your prayers, that God notices you. So it's a a great gift to be activated in the church. So I'm praying for that gift as a pastor and uh, I'm praying for it. I'm in the middle. I'm really going for it. I'm trying not to use my hands again because I'm outside and people might see. And as I'm praying for it, I'm in the middle, just full of zeal and fervor. I, I I, I kind of come up on this woman who is also walking and she's got her headphones in. And, and as I come up on her, I immediately know I have a message for her. Immediately. I know what the prophet meant in the Old Testament when he said, your word came to me and it was like a fire inside of me. I knew it, it was clear. And it was not a big like confrontational word. It was something real simple. Uh, it was um, uh, God um, has given you an amazing voice to sing and you need to use that in his house. Real simple, encouraging, not something like weird, like you smoked marijuana out behind the garage when you were seven, you know? Nothing nothing weird. Just simple, encouraging, one sentence, you know? And I just feel the word, like, just inside of me. But I'm not a weird person, and I have good manners, and... You know, I live in Texas and you're respectful to people and you mind your own business. And like, I don't want to be weird. I'm going to have to like do some hand motions because she's listening to her deal. And or I'm going to have to like stop and like get in front of her. And this, this could go bad in a lot of different ways. And, you know, it's just going to, you know, and I'm going to have to start it with, I'm sorry. I don't know what's the matter with me. You know, I feel like God, blah, 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 prophecy, 1 Corinthians 12, 30, you know, I mean, just not to go into the whole story. So I gather myself and I walk faster. That's it, this end of the story. I walked away. I hope that God raised up somebody else who was braver than me to come and give her the message. Why? Because that's that's big time uncomfortable. And so I chose my own comfort over what was best for Jesus and his kingdom and maybe what was best for her. So listen, there's no condemnation on the people at the inn, at least for me. Because I love comfort. Comfort is my favorite. But Jesus has been making people uncomfortable since the beginning. And sometimes, and in fact, let me just say this, every time you say hello to Jesus, you say goodbye to comfort. Why would God do that? Why would God want us to be uncomfortable? Why? Because he's given you responsibility to build his church. And building is not comfortable. He's given you responsibility through that through your life. He's bringing his own kingdom. And that kingdom is in conflict with the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of darkness. And conflict is not comfortable. So when you get to those moments in your life where you feel very uncomfortable in your faith or just whatever your life situation is right now, pour out your complaint to God. You're free to do that. And at the same time, be thankful because he is readying you for usefulness. 
But those people at the end, hypothetically, maybe, just in our imaginations, we don't know why they turned Mary and Joseph away. But I'm guessing there was somebody in the room was hoping that the, the, it didn't, nobody looked at them to give up their spot. Because there was a bed in the inn. There was no bed in the cave. There was warmth in the inn. There was no warmth in the stable. But you may have to give up your comfort this Christmas to make room for Jesus. Why else would these people turn Jesus away? This again in our imaginations, if I'm thinking about me and potential reasons that I might want Mary and Joseph to go somewhere else so that I can keep my, my space, maybe they just didn't understand the importance of what was happening. If I think I had to pick, I, I'm guessing that was it. They just didn't understand the innkeeper or whoever was responsible for telling Mary and Joseph there's no room here. Maybe they just didn't understand what was happening. See, a lot of women were probably pregnant at that time. There were a lot of babies who were almost ready to be born. Why should anybody in that inn think there was anything special about Mary and Joseph and that baby inside of her? And you compare those to the shepherds. Listen, the shepherds knew something special was happening, didn't they? I mean, an angel showed up to them. And then the glory of the Lord shone around them. So the, the glory, the light of glory wasn't just around the angel. It just was encompassing that whole hill, that whole field, that whole pasture, all around the shepherds. And then if that were not enough, more angels showed up and began to sing a song. So for them, the shepherds, it was obvious what they needed to do. But for the people at the end, it was more subtle. I mean, for the shepherds, it was a light of glory, an angelic message. But for the people at the end, it was just it's no credit to us when we obey God when he stops heaven and earth to give us the message. The sign of spiritual maturity is, are you willing to make room for Jesus and discern the importance of what is happening when it's more subtle than that? We see a story that illustrates that point. I want you to turn really quickly to 2 Kings chapter 19. Keep your finger there in Luke chapter 2. We'll be back. First Kings 19, the prophet Elijah is on a kind of a roller coaster of emotions. He's had an incredible victory and experience and success. And right after that, he's in the lowest of his low moments. And he needs desperately a word from God. And so he's in this cave on the side of a mountain. And this is what happens in verse 9. This might be a familiar story to you. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord. Meaning, I've been faithful to the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. 
And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake and after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire and after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. To the shepherds, the message came through the hurricane force wind and the earthquake and the fire. I mean, angels show up. Let me just give you a little free pastoral advice. This is free. Merry Christmas. This is my gift to you. If an angel of God appears to you to give you a message, and that message is confirmed by, lo, more angels, more angels than you can count, appearing to you and singing you a song, do whatever they say. Just do it. You'll be fine. That's an earthquake. That's a wind. That's fire. That's the message loud and clear. But to Elijah and to the people at the end, the opportunity was not as loud. It was just a simple knock at the door. And it takes real spiritual maturity to understand a divine moment in the mundane A divine moment in the midst of normal moments. See, God does not always make a spectacle out of the spectacular. God does not always wrap the glorious in glory. Sometimes He wraps the glorious in the plain and simple. See, there's nothing glorious about an everyday commitment to your spouse. You know, you don't crawl into bed as a husband and wife at night and a flash of light goes off in your room and a banner coming across saying, we made it another day. There's nothing spectacular about persevering patience with your children. You don't tuck your kids on in at night and as you're leaving the room, the voice of God come to you and go, you are an amazing father. No, when you sing your kids those songs to sleep, I doubt for very many of us the angelic choir joins you in those nursery rhymes. But that doesn't mean it's not glorious. There's nothing spectacular about an everyday zeal and commitment to God's word and to prayer. Maybe there is for you, but... Most mornings I have to wake up and I have to find this and I start reading. And lights of glory and heavenly rapture doesn't happen. But that doesn't mean it's not spectacular. That doesn't mean it's not holy. That doesn't mean that God is not there. See, most of us are waiting for God to come and do something so obvious in our midst that we won't have any other choice. But listen, God does not call you in order to turn you into a mindless robot. You will always have choices in this life. That's how secure he is. He's secure enough in who he is and what he can do to give you choice. 
You'll always have a choice. And so if you and I are just waiting for God to take away all the other choices, we are going to miss our opportunities because he's rarely going to do that. He's rarely going to make the choice between path A and path B so obvious by taking away path B. He's going to train you to discern the low and gentle whisper. He's going to train you to hear the knock at the door and recognize the importance of the moment, even though the moment doesn't seem that important. The question is, not will God give you opportunities for moments like this, it's will be you be able to recognize the knock on the door if it's not accompanied by a flash of glory. And then look what it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 10. The angel message to the shepherds. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Jesus' birth was good news that produced great joy. This is what we see in the shepherd's reaction in verse 20 when it says, And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God. And we see a difference between how the people of Bethlehem responded to the message and how the shepherds did. Look at verse 18. Shepherds see Jesus there in the manger and they saw it, verse 17, and they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. So they tell everybody, the angel and then the, the, the baby in the manger, just as it was said. And all who heard it, verse 18, wondered at what the shepherd told them. And that phrase, wondered, one Bible scholar described it in our English kind of wording as having your ears tickled. So the shepherds go and they tell the people of Bethlehem, hey, we were outside and the angel came to us and we're not dummies. And so we went and it was just like the angel said. And now we're telling everybody, the people of Bethlehem, they heard it and it was interesting to them. But then it left them. That's what it meant when it said they wondered at what had been told to them. But the shepherds, the shepherds, their joy was great. What was the difference between the shepherds and the people of Bethlehem? Look at verse 20 again. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. The people of Bethlehem heard the truth, just like the shepherds did from the angels. The angels said, Savior's been born to you. The shepherds go and they tell the people of Bethlehem, a Savior's been born to you. But there was no great joy produced And the townspeople, why? Because the joy comes from hearing and seeing. If you're a guest with us today, maybe this is your first time to really hear this story. Maybe you've heard it, but this is your first time to really listen to it and and see it in detail. Or maybe, maybe you would describe yourself as a prodigal. And there was once a time when you felt at home among the people of God, but life happened and things happened and you did this and they did that. And it's been a while and, and maybe now the rhythms of God's house feel different uh, to you. And, and, and you're not, I'm not sure if I can believe all this. I want you to hear. Don't take my word for it. Don't just take my word for it. Hear it today. But go and see for yourself. Make room for Jesus. 
Obey Him. Whether the obedience is a knock at the door or angels show up on Christmas morning at your house. If they do, let me know. I want to come over. Whether it's this big spectacle or it's just mundane, whatever God is saying to you, obey Him. And what you will find in that obedience is great joy. And that great joy is proof of what you have heard in this place and from God's Word. And you may be, you know, Pastor, I get that it was good news for great joy. But man, I just don't have great joy right now. I don't have great joy. That's not how I would describe my mood at this moment. I understand. Then let's go back to the good news. It's good news for great joy. See, God doesn't want you to come into Christmas, the time when we have dedicated to celebrate Jesus' birth. He doesn't want you coming in without great joy because that's good news. And if you don't have great joy, let's just remind each other of the good news. And the good news is that you and I were in darkness, but Jesus was born. You and I, we were lost and separated from God, but Jesus was born. You and I, we were hopeless and trapped in sin, but Jesus was born. You and I, we had all all twisted up ideas of who God was and, and how he felt about us, but Jesus was born. And not only was Jesus born, He grew up out of that manger, lived a righteous, holy, pure life before God and a sacrificial life. And on the cross, all that darkness in you, Jesus crucified. On the cross, all that twisted up thinking, Jesus died and crucified. On the cross, all that uncleanness that you and I carry in our mind, Jesus crucified. All that hopelessness in you on the cross, Jesus crucified. But he's no poser son of God like Augustus. He is the real son of God. And three days later after being dead, he was raised up from the grave. And now the doors to God have been flung wide open to us. The doors to eternal life are wide open to you and I. The doors to great joy have been open to the church of Jesus Christ. That's good news. And if you don't have great joy today, then go back to the good news. And when you get to those moments where your joy seems to walk out, then you go back to the good news because your life may be falling apart all around you, but this good news cannot be taken from you. You can get bad news at the doctor. You can get bad news from your husband. You can get bad news from your kids. You cannot get bad news from the word of God. It's always good news. And this good news always produces great joy always and Christmas without great joy is Christmas without Jesus and you can hear and you can see for yourself so in the spirit of good news and great joy we're going to take communion as we finish our service this morning so why don't you stand to your feet those who are helping us serve would you come and take your place just a second I'm going to pray and you're going to come forward and as you come forward you rip off a piece of the bread and as you do you're going to hear them say over you the body of Jesus broken for you and I want you to remember that that's good news and you take that bread and you dip it into the cup and when you dip it into the cup you're going to hear 
somebody say, the blood of Jesus shed for you. And I want you to remember that, that, remember that that's good news for you. And as you return to your seat, you return with great joy because Jesus was born. Father, we are filled with joy. If for no other reason than what we have read and heard today. And I pray for all those who have never seen that you would reveal the truth to them, that you would show yourself true and you would confirm your message with joy in their hearts. In Jesus' name.